Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi everyone, it's Annika. Thanks so much for joining me for the final episode of Speak Up for 2022. Yay, we made it. It's been a funny sort of a year to me. When I reflect back on 2022, I see it as a year that we learnt to live with COVID, most likely caught COVID, cared for someone with COVID, had truckloads of clients cancelled due to COVID, covered at work for colleagues with COVID, and then we did the same merry dance with the other endless viruses doing the rounds. It was also a year of rain for many of us. It started raining and, to be honest, hasn't really stopped. So overall, a year of being sick and drenched. In all sincerity, I truly hope you have had lots of great times both personally and professionally this year too. In this exact episode last year, I reeled off a list of adjectives to describe the year. This year, I decided to ask the fabulous kids I work with. These are the words they came up with. The usual suspects of fun, great, awesome and cool – Others including sensational, adventurous and mind-blowing, and my personal favourite, delicious. I really love seeing these kids that have had a couple of really trying years being so positive. In the spirit of the final episode of the year, today's episode will be a look back at the fantastic conversations we have featured across 2022. Sit back and enjoy. For our most listened to episode of the year, we have to travel all the way back to February, The delightful Vince Borg shared his wisdom in the area of orofacial myofunctional disorders, an area that is really growing in our profession. That's one of the major areas for um, orofacial myology disorders, that we see lots of kids who will be tongue thrusting, which helps contribute to that uh, open bite. And the jury's still out on whether it is caused by the tongue thrust or whether it's something that's genetic or whether it is predisposition to that and so there's lots of reasons why people might have an uh, an open bite and that's really for my dental colleagues to really talk about but um, those open bites are probably the most common things that we would do or that I would do in terms of orofacial myology treatment. Um, Of course if kids have got Um, dummies or chronic thumb sucking which is really putting a lot of pressure on those upper anterior teeth and they're using that quite extensively that would be really the first port of call but we're sort of getting on to treatment there but it's those sorts of areas Um, and I think we've all seen kids come into the clinic for all sorts of other speech sound disorders and and things, but they might have this chronically open mouth with uh, tongue forward, maybe resting on their lower lip and, you know, chronic mouth breathing, have a really narrow 
philtrum, if you remember, that's the little cupid's bow between your nose and your top lip, and just this constant opening and breathing through your mouth. So uh, whether that's really because of uh, an open bite or whether it's some other reason, they could have all sorts of restrictions in their nasal airway or they could have very large tonsils and adenoids which doesn't allow them to get good nasal breathing. Um, They could have a dummy for a long time. It really can be quite a number of reasons for that. So interesting. It was so great to see a growing listening audience for our adult episodes this year. One of the most popular adult episodes was with Dr. Laura Chader and Dr. Lindsay Carey, who spoke about their award-winning paper into the speech pathology role in palliative care. Palliative care in itself is still a relatively emerging area of practice. Um, And and when I'm saying it's still still emerging, we're still talking about 30-plus years of it being present and and functional within our healthcare settings, but it's it's really um, developed and it's really evolved over those years. And I think with that evolvement, we've seen the emergence of the need for speech pathologists to be part of that palliative care team, where previously speech paths really weren't considered as part of that integral member of, of the pal care team. Um, saying that, it was also still largely institutionalised within hospital settings. So with that evolvement of it becoming more home-based, community-based, um, you know, inpatient, outpatient, more long-term palliative care services, um, it's it's definitely taken a different shape. So I'm saying, I guess, over the past few years, speech paths are starting to see there's a real need for us to be there and mm-hmm. we really need to start churning out some, some evidence-based practice to help us, support us in, in those roles. Yeah, I'd agree with Laura entirely. Um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that uh, as I um, have visited aged care facilities and have tried to get the assistance of a, of a speech pathologist, that quite often I was uh, um, greeted with the response, speech pathologist, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, no, no, that's, they, they will operate down in the acute area. We, we don't have nothing to do with speech pathologists. So there's, there, as Laura's just indicated, there was this incongruence about understanding uh, what the role of speech pathologists actually were. And I think that's part of the reason. It's just a misunderstanding of of both their potential um, utility, um, but also in terms of uh, holistic care, that speech pathologists add that extra d- dimension and dynamic uh, to holistic care. Hi, this is Kelly. And Nadia from the ethics team. We just wanted to thank SPA members for a great 2022. We've had many conversations with you this year that show your passion for the profession and great insight into how we can grow the profession in an ethical manner. Your thoughtful clinical decision-making and compassion for those that you work with and for are wonderful qualities to carry over into the new year. We look forward to speaking with you and working with you in 2023. Being a clinician myself, I love nothing more than clinicians sharing their knowledge with clinicians. It was great chatting to the team at Fit Kids Foundation about their transdisciplinary approach within the early intervention setting. I think when you're in that paediatric um, di- disability space, it's really, really important that we're looking at the whole child and not just your own discipline. Because often you've got a child who presents with very complex needs across that across multiple developmental domains, um, and 
if we can look at that whole child, I think we can have a much uh, bigger impact on the over, overall developmental trajectory and close those gaps a lot quicker rather than working in silos um, and just working on single domains. And I think if you think about the family as well, and the stress that the added stress of going along to the speechy, to the OT, to the psychologist, to the physio, and we've got all these different p- professionals. But who's coordinating that, and who's mm-hmm. bringing it all together to work towards a common goal? Um, and if we've got you know, four different disciplines, three or four goals, that's sixteen goals. I mean, I wouldn't be able to keep all of that in my head as a professional, let alone a parent that's living with a child with a complex de- disability. And it's probably unlikely that we're going to be able to achieve those 16 goals all at the one time so if we can bring it together and all work bring all of our expertise together um, and work towards you know three core common goals that are functional and really looking at the needs of the family I think the likelihood that we're going to have a greater impact is a lot higher. The move to neurodiversity affirming practice is one of the biggest paradigm shifts I have seen across my 25-year career. It really has been a huge talking point on the ground this year, so it came as no surprise that our episode with Melissa Maddox and Kath Fernando was so popular. I know when I was at uni, we really had the model of the ICF really drilled into it. So there was barely an essay you could submit that didn't cite the ICF model of disability. And I think what that, I mean, it's not a bad model, it's not like a medical model, but it does start with disease disorder at the top of the uh, the tree, if you like, of inter- of how we view a person and, and the entire environment that they live in. However, the social model of disability is at the heart of the neurodiversity movement um, and it's essentially that there is no disability without the attitudes, environment and social barriers that result from our culture and society. Um, Disability itself is experienced differently by each person. It's not the person that is the problem. It's the environment that is the problem. So by enabling um, people to live in an environment where they can be their best selves, you are therefore reducing disability. And I really like that. I've adopted that in my practice for for all of my clients and it, um, it makes a lot more sense to me intuitively. Hello, I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice. Wishing all our listeners around the world a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And here's to a wonderful 2023. The theme for Speech Pathology Week this year was Good Communication, Better Communities. I really love putting this episode together. It was so great to liaise with speech pathologists from all over Australia and showcase our amazing speech pathology community. Hi, everyone. I'm Bonnie McKenzie, a speech pathologist living on Larrakia land in Darwin, Northern Territory. I work for NT Health under the Community Allied Health team, and I have been in this role for about three years now. In my team, we have a bunch of passionate and like-minded speech pathologists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists and allied health assistants, and we provide multi-D and trans-D services to people living in urban, rural and remote communities of the Northern Territory. A bit about my caseload In rural and remote communities that I visit, I see all ages and within Darwin, adults only. Um, Our team is broken up into smaller teams that service a region each, including the Greater Darwin Region, Darwin Remote Region, East Arnhem Region and Big Rivers Region, which is Catherine. I work within the Darwin Remote team. I usually um, am out and about travelling to um, some beautiful communities in West Arnhem, including Manangrida, 
and Gumbalanya and the Tiwi Islands, which includes Milikapiti, Perlingimbi and Wamyanga. I'm usually travelling in small 10-seater planes or via car, crossing lots of creek crossings and seeing lots of crocodiles and other amazing, beautiful wildlife. Um, I work predominantly with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and my caseload includes all clinical presentations from speech, language, voice, swallowing, fluency and AAC. A lot of our work involves developmental assessment, intervention and diagnostic support and providing general parent coaching and support for individuals, families and schools. There are so many reasons I love being a speech pathologist in this current role some of which include the fact that I get to learn something new every day from my clients and their families. I'm constantly improving my skills in providing a culturally safe speech pathology service um, and also just the privilege of seeing some of the most remote places in Australia. Happy Speech Pathology Week. What a fascinating place to work. Another adult episode that has been listened to over an impressive four and a half thousand times was from early in the year. Chris Payton spoke about his research into the messy world of voice disorder classification. There was a systematic review that had been completed back in 2013, looking at different um, test measures of voice and how effective they were in a diagnostic um, uh, context. And it found that the evidence was very low. Um, and one of the key findings of that um, systematic review, it was um, done by um, Nelson Roy and the, um, the uh, amazing SIG3 ASHA group in, in America, the Voice Disorder Specialist Group. And one of the key findings that they found was um, that actually all of the different studies didn't agree on what they were calling voice disorders. So in order to assess the, um, the, uh, the reliability of the test measures, they were all calling things different things. And we were having discussions in our um, research meeting and with the clinicians, with the ENTs and the speech pathologists that I work with, and we were all doing the same thing. Um, so some of us would call um, uh, a specific voice disorder a functional voice disorder. Others would call it non-organic, um, uh, muscle tension dysphonia. And nobody really had a, an absolute um, uh, uh, hold on, on, on why they were calling those different things. So we decided to embark on looking at the scoping review. We specifically wanted to look at frameworks um, that were in existence because we wanted to understand um, how classification um, was made within a framework of lots of different voice disorders because that was necessary in order to understand how they compared with each other. So why would authors group a specific voice disorder into one part of a framework compared to another part of the framework? The professional education team would like to thank everyone who contributed to and participated in our education this year. It's been a big one with live online workshops, new on-demand courses, as well as our Speak Up podcasts. Face-to-face events also made a return, including the fabulous National Conference in Melbourne. We're excited about our new offerings for next year. Check out the Learning Hub for more info. From all of the ProfEd team, we wish you a happy and safe festive season. We look forward to seeing you in person and online in 2023.
How good was it to be back with a face-to-face conference this year? The conference was definitely a highlight of mine. It was so energizing to cross paths with so many familiar faces. One familiar face I had the joy of interviewing before the conference was the amazing Joe Watson, who delivered the most inspiring keynote address. We've signed the and ratified the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, um, and we did that in 2008 um, as a nation. So, um, and what the CRPD or the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, specifically Article 12, um, tells us is that we have an unequivocal obligation to make sure that all people are given the human right of autonomy. So um, it really has, the convention has instigated this paradigm shift and it's where supported decision-making has come from. So if we think about um, uh, that idea of autonomy, of universal autonomy, of everybody having a right to self-determination, at the core of those concepts is communication. Hopefully, you are already thinking about travelling to Hobart for the 2023 conference in May, which has the theme Reflect, Respect, Respond. Look out for early bird registrations opening in February. Genuinely listening to the lived experience of the people we work with can only enhance our clinical practice. I was so grateful to Mark Elsing, who is living with dysarthria post-stroke, for sharing his experiences with us all. It's been very much person-centric, um, across the board, like you say, from hospital to the broader community. But in saying that, the goals, the goals that have been set have been in my interest, but I needed to break them down into smaller bite-sized pieces. Not that I'm a slow learner, but because basically things happen for me a lot slower, and that is across the board. Um, So by breaking them down into smaller pieces, I've been able to gauge with measurable success the progression from being unable to communicate via text or voice to being able to communicate that people understand me a lot easier. The professional standards team have spent 2022 engaging in cultural learning, aligning our work with the professional standards, describing our scope of practice, promoting evidence-based practice and supporting our members and future members to ensure the individuals and communities we work with receive the best possible services. Central to our work this year has been defining an anti-racist stance and embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ways of being, seeing, belonging, doing and knowing into our work to facilitate cultural responsiveness. Thank you to all for being part of this thriving, hardworking profession and we wish you a productive and inspiring 2023. Thank you from Stacey Boldak on behalf of the Professional Standards Team. Thank you. 
We had a deep dive into a few conditions this year. One that continues to maintain a huge presence in the mainstream media was ADHD. Lani Lamers and Jen Ward gave us all a taste of what speech pathologists need to know about ADHD. So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental difference in the way the brain develops and falls under the umbrella of neurodivergence. ADHDers have a pattern of inattentive and or hyperactive and impulsive traits that interfere with their functioning or development. So as you said, there's different types of ADHD. Uh, There's three types. So firstly, ADHD, predominantly inattentive type, which was formerly known as ADD or attention deficit disorder. From the outside, inattention presents as difficulties with sustained attention, challenges remembering and following instructions, becoming distracted by internal or external stimuli, or maybe being quite forgetful for everyday items. The second type of ADHD is predominantly hyperactive and impulsive presentation. Hyperactivity is marked by an increase in motor activity, so that could be like fidgeting, moving around in situations that is unexpected, um, or they might be very, very talkative. And then there's impulsivity, which is described as hasty actions where there's minimal to no thought before acting. So finally, the third type is the combined presentation. So it's essentially both together where they have inattentive, hyperactive and impulsive traits. I was lucky enough to see Lani and Jen present their face-to-face workshop in October, which was brilliant. Many of us work with nurses in a variety of different settings. A recent episode with Roz Shand and Ruth Townsend really resonated with many of you, especially their first-hand clinical stories. No, I wanted to share a story that was from when I was working on the neurorehabilitation ward um, that specifically fueled this topic. So a lot of the time I would do supportive communication with my patients that I was working with as part of their therapy um, to help them with their activity and their participation. And I would try to do that in conjunction with impairment-based therapy. So working on um, the neurorehabilitation ward at Monash Health, and I was working on a fantastic neurorehab ward at the Kingston Centre where the nurses were incredibly motivated and are incredibly motivated to include people in their care, to use supports, to take on speech pathology strategies. And we had a woman in her late 40s, very large stroke, um, severe apraxia and aphasia. Um, And, of course, she was so frustrated and I'd already completed my session with her that day, you know, working very specifically on on motor speech and apraxia and and targeted therapy. Um, And I was walking off the ward and the nurse in charge and the intern came running over and said, we need speech pathology. We need speech pathology. There's her communication's broken down. We've used the supports you've told us about. We can't figure out what the message is. You know, she's escalating. She's so frustrated. It's going to be a, a code grey, you know, where security needs to be called. She's really agitated. We're trying to get this bladder ultrasound. Please come and fix, you know, fig- figure out what she's trying to tell us. And so we go in and end up doing this joint session with the nurse in charge, the intern, the physio's there, I'm there, and, of course, the patient who's really upset. And by this time, she'd been on the ward for months. Everyone knew her well. They knew her communication style. And I think the first thing that was really apparent that was using my full suite of experience and supportive communication skills, I also couldn't figure out exactly what it was she was wanting to tell us. And so it was bringing that whole team in and saying, guys, this is hard. We've all got to help 
to work this out and to help her to express what she would like. Um, and it took about 45 minutes of everyone working together and eventually we said, well, hold on, why do, you know, why are you trying to do a bladder ultrasound? What's the purpose of this assessment? And they said, well, she was up 14 times overnight to go to the bathroom. I went, 14 times? That's, that's really strange. What? And all of a sudden, you know, she was able to communicate with us through her facial expression. That was it. That was, that was the issue. And we went, did you really need to go to the bathroom 14 times? She said, no. Um, and then we remembered that the day before, uh, at about 4pm, we'd had a conversation finishing up with the social worker and myself, the speech pathologist, talking about NDIS and her discharge home. And she'd been really stressed and really overwhelmed, understandably. And it turned out she hadn't been able to sleep that night because her mood and she was feeling stressed. But every time the nurses came in, they didn't know why she was awake. She wasn't able to tell them what was going on. And they didn't want her to be uncomfortable, so they took her to the bathroom. So she hadn't needed to go to the bathroom at all. She'd been feeling really upset but hadn't been able to express that. And so she was trying to say there is no need for a bladder ultrasound because that's not actually what was going on. Such a great story. Any episode that is focused on speech sound disorder is always a hit with you all. I really love chatting to Rebecca Ryan King early on in the year about minimal pairs. When I first started looking into minimal pairs, I actually, I thought I knew a lot about the approach. And then when I started looking into it, I realized that there were so many things I wasn't aware of. And most of the journal articles I looked at, they're actually from the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. So that's where I guess the bulk of the research Mm. has come from. And I think I've downloaded about 35 articles um, on the approach, but there are more out there. And I, I was confused, but I was excited as well. I was confused because everyone was saying something a little bit different and doing things mm. a little bit differently. And I had this idea that minimal pairs was a really nice recipe. You know, you follow mm. this really clear, you know, this is your first step. This is your second step. This is your third step. And the more I read into it, the more I realised that everyone tweaked and did things a little bit differently. Rebecca also appeared on a later episode discussing her experiences of stress and burnout, along with three other speeches, including Melinda Hull. I personally just pushed myself too far with everything. I've just got such a driven nature. Someone's described me as driven and I was surprised to hear that word and went, nope, I am. I'm very driven. I've just got big goals and I've got lots that I want to achieve in life. And so I just cram everything in. So when I said that like the landscape of speech pathology has changed, in the beginning when I started working, everything was government work. You really didn't have much private practice. And I've listened to the podcast on Speak Up before and they were saying that back then, you know, it was around 75% government work, 25% private practice. Then you introduce NDIS into the picture and now it's the opposite way around. 75% is private practice and 25% is government. And I think that's where I'm starting to hear this topic of burnout a whole lot more, especially in listening to just things my friends might say, colleagues who are speechies too. Um, You know, private practice The clients that I saw when I returned to private practice, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen such hard clients before. And I was thinking, is it me? Did I just forget how to do my job because I'd been out of the field for ages? And then I went, no, it actually is just, we deal with very complex clients. They've got big needs. And so that can create burnout. You've got a lot of 
um, knowledge and skills you've got to pull into for demanding clients. Also in private practice, you now have to have billable hours. You know, you've got to make money so that you can actually function. So I think that leads to, you know, how many clients do you have to see a day and all those sorts of requirements that are put on you maybe by that practice in order to do that, which is needed, but it just creates that greater presence of burnout. Yeah, I'm hearing it more as, more as I go, but that could be because I'm more aware of it too. I really appreciated the four speeches on that episode being so honest. Hoping you are all doing what you need to do to look after your mental health. On that note, and to finish our season, on behalf of Speech Pathology Australia, I wish you all the most relaxing and rejuvenating summer break. Be a tiny bit selfish and do whatever you need to do to start 2023 ready and raring to go. Before I finish, I must say some heartfelt thanks to my podcast team behind the scenes. Anha Elshamari and Thomas Barres are two incredibly talented young people who I have the privilege of working with each week. Anha is the content producer on the podcast. She is the one that makes each episode sound amazing. And Thomas puts together and runs the social media promotion for each episode. You two are beyond awesome. Thank you also to the incredible people I have worked with as both interviewers and interviewees across this year. I continue to be inspired by your dedication and passion for our profession and thank you all so much for being fantastic to work with. Thank you to you all for allowing us into your ears each week. Honestly, our podcast downloads this year have been phenomenal. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. We will be back with season five in February. Take care, have a great summer, and we will see you on the other side. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.